Welcome back to Your 1230, the only podcast where our guests tell their story with the help of 12 questions in just 30 minutes. I'm your host, Mike Salitro, and today we are very excited to be speaking with Mark Graben. Mark is an author, speaker, and consultant whose latest book, The Mistakes That Make Us, Cultivating a Culture of Learning and Innovation, is available now. He's also the author of the award-winning book, Lean Hospitals, Improving Quality, Patient Safety, and Employee Engagement, and others, including Measures of Success, React Less, Lead Better, Improve More. He serves as a consultant through his company, Constancy Inc., and is also a senior advisor for the technology company, Kinexus. Mark hosts podcasts, including Lean Blog Interviews and My Favorite Mistake. He's got a BS in Industrial Engineering from Northwestern, an MS in Mechanical Engineering and MBA from MIT, uh, MIT's Leaders for Global Operations program. Mark, welcome. We are really thrilled to be speaking with you. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Of course. And there are so many things I want to follow up on, but I'm going to kind of go back to the beginning there, the latest book, The Mistakes That Make Us. Um, How have you been able to refocus or reposition the conversation on mistakes? Because I would think most people don't want to talk about them, but how have you been able to kind of uh, shed a light on how we can make it into a positive or Hmm. how it can cultivate that culture that you're talking about? Yeah, I think there's a couple of factors. You know, one is some mentors that I've had uh, in different workplaces, both back in manufacturing. You can look at Roots, um, you know, former Toyota people that I've gotten to work with and learn from. And then in healthcare, there were some really high performing organizations and one of the common themes is the idea that they learn from their mistakes, right? When you try to prevent mistakes, but when they occur, let's make sure we learn from them instead of um, punishing mistakes and driving them underground. You can't solve a problem that you don't know about. So that, that's been imprinted on me and reinforced in different ways through my career. And then uh, September 2020 um, was kind of a, a pandemic project. Um, just started a new podcast series called My Favorite Mistake. And like, you know, to your point, like, can I find enough people, successful people willing to share a mistake? Like it started with one and it was conversations uh, with an opportunity to interview Kevin Harrington, who was a shark on season one of Shark Tank. Like he got pitched for my podcast about quote unquote lean management. I'm like, ah, it's probably not a fit, but I'd love to talk to him. And he was actually really good in talking about his mistakes. Like it wasn't like a BS job interview answer of like, what's your, what's your biggest weakness? Like, Oh, I just worked too hard. And you know, it wasn't one of those, like it was a real vulnerable, legit mistake story. And I said, I've got one, hopefully I can find others. And, you know, at this point I'm up to over 225 episodes um, of, of people who are willing to, I, I think of it as leading by example and sharing a mistake and how they learned from it. That's that's excellent. And that really ties the way you talk about it. The uh, mistake prevention kind of turning into learning from mistakes really goes hand in hand with that culture piece that it's got to be an environment where people feel okay to identify this didn't go well, but here's what I can do better next time. So I'm glad you put it that way. Yeah, uh, 225. That's that's an excellent number because I'll tell anybody who listened that I make mistakes on a daily basis. So I get, some <laughs> so strange, I. I get, I get strange looks. But it, but it helps me, A, be okay to trying new things, and then B, yeah. right, well, this is what I can do differently when I have a similar sort of sort of circumstances. So I really like the way you walked us through well, that. And, and I'm I, sorry to interrupt, but I want to emphasize, I make mistakes all the time, too. 
right? So I'm not doing a podcast about mistakes because I think I'm, I don't make mistakes. I do. <laughs> and I, I think that it's it starts at, I mean, I have young children and I think that they even look at me strange when, when I tell them, yeah, dad doesn't know or dad makes mistakes. And it's it's making it okay to, I think the trying new things is the kind of where this starts, where it's mm-hmm. um, with the prevention of, of kind of errors can go backfire. Because like, well, this is safe. I know how to do this. And you never leave that lane. Go ahead. Yeah, to- that's totally true. So it's there, it's very situational. So um, I'm glad you brought that up because there are some mistakes you work really hard to prevent, such as giving the wrong medication to a patient in a hospital setting or uh, putting the wrong part on a, a car, putting that part on the wrong way where the quality or safety of the customer could be bad. When we're trying to innovate or even just trying to improve, we need to expect mistakes and almost invite them. Like to the idea, I can't think of how many guests have said, if you're not making any mistakes, you're not trying hard enough to innovate. But I think when we expect to make mistakes and we know we can't possibly always be right when we're doing new things or doing them a new way, I think there are strategies, including using small mistakes to prevent huge mistakes in in those types of circumstances. Yeah. And that that's a good comparison. And then the the, the podcast platform is is great that there's the conversation, there's the communication around it. How have you been either guest or in in your work, how have you been able to get people to not only kind of say fess up, but to be willing to talk about things that didn't work well? It's like, well, that was a disaster. Let's talk about it. Um it's a good question. I mean, I've I've tried to frame it even from that initial invitation with Kevin Harrington and with others and you know, CEOs and founders and, and people from other professions who I've interviewed, I try to frame it as an environment where we're celebrating the learning and the growth that comes from it. I try to make clear, this is not a place where I'm going to browbeat you <laughs> and ask, what the heck were you thinking? So I think that might help. There, there's also that self-selecting population of people who know what they're signing up for. And I'll tell you, one of the podcasts I made mistakes I made a couple of times was coming into a recording with a guest who wasn't properly prepared to answer that question. Because usually it was a miscommunication because there was like a third party PR firm involved. Now, I don't mean to blame them. I learned to take responsibility for the need to not surprise anybody with that question. And that means like holding really firm. I'm like, we need to do a quick pre-call. Like, I just want to, eyeball to eyeball through Zoom, confirm like you've thought about or you're going to think about this question because like throw that question to somebody on the spot at a dinner or a party, like it's going to be hard to answer and they might not want to answer. So you've got to make sure people are cool with it and you've got to give them time to reflect and think of, okay, well, which story am I going to tell and let them think about it? So I think think that's been one of the keys. Yeah, that's that's a good example. They kind of not having the preparation. And you mentioned earlier the interview question of, you know, tell me about a time something went wrong. Um, how how have you been able to, or I should say, how do you help others know what mistakes to share in those settings or when uh, to kind of to draw the line? Because there have been interview settings, yeah. and I'm probably guilty of this myself, where it's like, I say something along the lines of, here's what I did wrong. And you just see the look. It's like, well, that was probably not something I should have shared at this point. Uh, so how how can you kind of draw those boundaries? Well, I mean, the person you're talking to might not be disapproving. They might just be surprised that you were open about 
sharing something that went wrong, a mistake, a failure, whatever word um, you might use. But like, I think, you know, in a workplace setting, um, somebody's willingness to admit a mistake, I think there's two pieces. Like one is internal. Like what sort of history or experiences have we had, whether it was through childhood or through school or through jobs, where we've been shamed for mistakes or been taught that mistakes are something you don't admit. Like some of that may be very sort of internally driven. We can try to work on that individually. Look, I'm not a psychologist or a therapist. I'm not saying you would need a therapist, but like it's something to work through. Of like, can you admit mistakes to yourself? Maybe as a first step. And I've tried to do some things like just calling out mistakes in a non-shaming sort of way of like I try like just to acknowledge um even if it's something small okay uh, my mistake like and like it that's okay let let's acknowledge it let's move on if it's a mistake we're re repeating let's try to figure out maybe why we're making the mistake uh, bad assumption lack of knowledge you know type of thing um and I think in a workplace though the second dynamic if we can get past admitting the mistake to ourselves, is the relationship in your interaction with your manager or other leaders or even coworkers. And, you know, I've been fortunate to be able to do a little bit of formal studying um, in a, a, a field called psychological safety. Again, not a psychologist. I'm an engineer who's trying to learn about these things. Um, but for psychological safety to take root in an organization, for people to feel safe, to decide it's safe to speak up about things, including hey, I made a mistake, leaders really have to lead the way. Like people are going to follow the lead of their boss. And, and I'm fortunate to work with uh, leaders, uh, for example, at that software company, Kinexus. The CEO and other senior leaders will admit mistakes. They will say they were wrong. They share that not for shaming or ridicule or anything, but just to acknowledge it. I think that builds trust. With employees, because look, they know you're not perfect anyway, you know. And I think acknowledging mistakes gives permission for others to do the same. And then when they do, you, you've got to react constructively and kind of focus on um, why did we, why did that happen? Not who messed up. Um, what could have allowed that to occur? What do we learn from that? What would we do differently? How might we try to prevent? mistakes going forward. Or again, in the case of innovation, you try something, it didn't quite work the way you expected. Let's adjust. Right? You might not have to give up. Um, so again, it, it's pretty situational. There are some mistakes I think we would look and say, oh, okay, uh, there's nothing to gain from this other than learning how to not do it again. Like for example, like I've only done this once in 750 different podcast interviews. I forgot to hit record. I just plain forgot to hit record. Um, so look, that that's a that that's a mistake I'd like to think shouldn't have happened. Um, I've managed to not let it happen again. And there are better technologies now, you know, you can set a Zoom meeting to auto-record <laughs> when it starts. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it really comes down to leaders doing what they can to let people know or at least try to encourage them to believe that it's safe to speak up about mistakes. And that's really an excellent way to describe the culture because I think the setting makes a big difference as far as what people are willing to share both to themselves and to others. 
and then what the kind of next step repercussions, if you will, will be that it's this is this is normal or this is what we are expected to do and here's how we're going to handle it as opposed to i got to make sure nobody ever finds out about this because if i do there's going to be uh you know adverse reactions so the way you describe the culture there it makes sense that we're going to try new things we're going to innovate we're going to try to get better and along the way the things are going to go going to the left we're going to have to figure out what to do better next time so that's yeah. that's that's excellent how you describe and, it and i think acknowledging that mistakes in a lot of situations are, are bound to happen is not giving people permission to be reckless. People don't want to make mistakes, you know? So um, that's why, I mean, I think, again, if it's like an innovation setting, you you really have to sort of say, hey, uh, we're not, they're not all going to be winners, you know, kind of new ideas, new marketing um, uh, experiments or what have you. And then in certain situations, again, let's say in, in certain, you know, healthcare settings or with, with aviation, there are certain mistakes that you try you know, through checklists or uh, mistake-proofing approaches, you try really, really hard to prevent the mistake. But then if there's even, you know, a near miss, that's got to be embraced as a learning opportunity to prevent the next version of that event that could have been catastrophic. Yeah, you. I'm going to try to transition here with that. You mentioned certain areas where there's be reactions or there'll be results that'll be... Uh, Terrible, for lack of a better word, with the when you talk about healthcare, when we talk about aviation, um, and we talk about uh, kind of the fixing the automobile uh, example that you gave. You you wrote the book Lean Hospitals. Um, those are two words most people know, you know what they are, but very rarely do we see them together. Mm-hmm. Um, how how is how are you able to see that in your career, and what do you hope people take from when they see well, what would a lean hospital look like? Yeah. Um... So you know, when you talk about the the word lean, you know, I, I try. I think in, in the subtitles of my book, I try to summarize the book in the subtitle, or at least some of the main things. So the subtitle of the book, Lean Hospitals, is improving quality, patient safety, and employee engagement. Like those are, I think, like the three most important goals: safety, quality, employee engagement. Because if you do those three things, other benefits tend to follow. Efficiency, productivity, reducing waiting times, leading to lower cost, which is a different approach. And, and, and the word lean um, comes from what you might call lean management, or people in tech circles might know of, quote unquote, lean startup. Well, those ideas have their origins in something that was originally called lean production or lean manufacturing, which is a, a different way of labeling the Toyota production system so that it might be a little more palatable. Like I started my career at General Motors. And in the mid nineties, it was clear GM was trying to catch up to Toyota, but they didn't want to admit that, right? So lean manufacturing, it's meant to be, it was, the the, the phrase was coined, it was meant to be a positive, meaning like you're, you're accomplishing more with less, um, less waste, less resources, fewer problems. The word lean though, I mean, it, it has some fairly negative connotations, I think, in a lot of settings. Um, so that word is already out there. It's probably not the best word, like if we were to call it uh, effective manufacturing or, or I don't know, something with a little bit more of a, a positive spin. But I mean, I, to me, it is a positive methodology, but um, sometimes that word, you know, uh, the word can get in the way. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a student of lean as well, so I I understand everything you're saying. I think it does get a bad rap as kind of a cold way of looking at business. 
Uh, so that's why that's why to me when I read it about hospitals, you mentioned quality, safety, and engagement with with the people that are working there, all very important things and all pieces of uh, lean because the the fundamental principle, as you reference, is to take out waste or take out things that are not valuable to. Uh, the end user or someone who is coming along the journey there. So yeah. uh, I think it makes sense. I think it's just a, kind of a b- bad rap or the, the way that people consider it. Well, you must be taking something out or you must be cutting corners some way. And that's really not, that's not the way to look not, at it. Yeah. Right. But it, you know, it rhymes with the word mean. So people hear, Oh, lean and mean. And I would argue, look, the old financially driven cost cutting approach is mean and disrespectful and harmful um, in in different ways, but um, yeah, I mean, it's really it's about making work easier and less frustrating for people, helping them be more effective in what they're doing, and and engaging them in the improvement process instead of just like hiring efficiency experts to come in and tell them what to do. Like it's really this opportunity to partner with people in improvement, whether that's uh, a factory, a coffee shop. Uh, a hospital or uh, a software and technology company, like the the principles at a high level are are the same. Yeah, I mean they're universal to almost all those settings, and and as you reference that, they deal with the uh, kind of the front line, the employee who's working with the, the that end user, the the hospital, the, the patient. So they would know best what is actually happening on a day to day basis. I mean, I, I could yes. I could certainly talk about this all day. I am a big fan, so thank yeah. you for kind of tying those. Those together, uh, sure. With with a background in healthcare, uh, how how has that helped with with the books, with the podcast? Um, that's a it's a very big but specific field. How are you able to kind of traverse that and get into other other areas that are, are the materials applicable that you found there's an audience for? That's a good question. Um... My, you know, I worked in manufacturing and uh, a manufacturing focused software company in the first 10 years of my career. I really, I thought that's what my career was going to be. It was just a matter of, okay, a smaller software company back to a bigger manufacturing company. I had this fairly narrow view of what I thought my career would be and a certain exposure, a certain set of ideas. Coming into healthcare forced me to expand from the thinking part of my brain to more of the feeling part of my brain. Mm. And, and, and I'm not being, I'm not being dismissive of feelings, but that would be a very stereotypical engineer thing to do. Healthcare is much more in touch with the idea of, of caring or in some circumstances and like in a platonic way, the word love, right? So that's pushing it in other industries or whatever, but like this idea of caring for um, your employees, your your colleagues, the the patient connection. I mean, it's a caring profession. And here here's the catch twenty two or or the the conundrum is you know people hear like oh ideas for manufacturing like oh don't turn our hospital into a factory. And like well we're not trying to do that at all. We want it to be a better hospital, right? A hospital where people aren't feeling like they're they're treated like a number. Like we 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 don't want nurses to be um, firefighting and, and and coming up with their own workarounds to broken systems in a way that 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 keeps them away from the patient, right? So we we want to free up time um, for for nurses and physicians to, to spend more time 
with patients. And I, I, the, the thing that's hard to traverse is when, when I'm, I'm trying to connect dots with, with people in healthcare and I try to remember to meet people where they are, I might be the only person in the room who spent significant time in factories and in hospitals. And, and I can see parallels. And I, I think, I mean, I've made mistakes. Um, I think, you know, you have to be careful to not be off-putting in the language or the examples you use. Examples that might be comfortable to me might not be comfortable to somebody in healthcare. And I would say that's not their fault. You know, they just don't have the same exposure to different experiences that that I've had. So with a book like Lean Hospitals, um, I've, I've tried to help that be um, like uh, an inviting introduction to the topic, um, not completely shying away from uh, examples in other industries, but yeah, you know, just I, I, I guess always have to guard against overdoing it. But and so back to your question, though, I think there is a lot to learn from these different dimensions of healthcare that could be brought back um, in into other industries. Um, some of the things you learn about um, the psychology of change management from, you know, being in a healthcare setting, you run across, you know, people with, um, um, you know, counseling and social work and mental health backgrounds. And like those, those are things I would have never been exposed to as an engineer. And, and there, there are some concepts that I think would be helpful shared back in the other, the other direction. Maybe that, maybe that's a future book, <laughs> what we can <laughs> learn from healthcare. The good, the good stuff. There's a lot of things you might not want to emulate, but there are there are some good things. There we go. Thank you for walking us through that. That's that's helpful to hear. Um, at the beginning of the conversation, kind of going backwards, there, you mentioned uh, mentors as far as being able to identify mistakes. Um, at this point in your career, you've accomplished a lot of things. How are you, if you are, uh, being a mentor to others, and how are you, where are you helping them go? Um, I, I, one of that opportunity. Um, a lot of it comes through involvement with the software company Kinexus that you mentioned when you introduced me and I brought up, you know, I'm uh, in a role as a senior advisor um, to the company. So, you know, I got involved with the two co-founders. I'm not a co-founder, but I'm kind of like a third wheel, you know, um, when the company was very much getting off the ground and um, was able to have a role with the company. And now as it's grown, um, over a decade to a team of 40 people and still growing. And you know, I give the co-founders a lot of credit that they've been willing to focus on culture as they go and to be intentional about what, to be a culture of continuous improvement. We create software that's used by companies that, that are looking to manage their continuous improvement activity, right? So we want to emulate the culture that our customers are aspiring to because it's good business for us. And then part of that, um, has been, I, I think, in a lot of ways, an intuitive focus on, I, I think the leaders there intentionally do or intuitively do a lot of things that foster psychological safety, the way they react to mistakes. They're not people to get upset and yell and scream or, or do things like that. But then, you know, a couple of years ago, I, I kind of brought into the conversation some observations of like, I see some patterns here of like, this is how people at Kinexus tend to lead and react. Like, let's talk about it and put some language around it so that as the company continues to grow, we can try to reinforce, you know, some of that. So my, my role is indirect, but I think, you know, there are a lot of employees in the company in their late 20s. And I try to model 
um, these different behaviors of being willing and able to admit a mistake instead of blaming others. And, 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 you know, just trying to help reinforce when people do admit, I mean, this happens a lot, like in a weekly uh, Friday team conference call where somebody will say, Hey, here's a mistake I made this week. Um, and they share it so that others can maybe benefit and learn of like, Hey, if you might make that same mistake, here's something I did that I think helps. Like the, the, the focus is on that learning and sharing and, when when that's happening, I, I try to really thank and reinforce people um, for 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 doing that. Um, so that's and then a lot of times when I'm working with clients in different organizations, there's inevitably some younger employees that you know I I try to help mentor in the way like when I was in my 20s right out of school, I had some great mentors, and now you may think those mentors were about the age that I am now. <laughs> I'm turning 50, so here we. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a, a pleasure to try to um, to you know mentor people in different ways. Yeah, yeah, and you, you, the conference call anecdote is is a good one, kind of pu- pulling together the culture for uh, conversations around mistakes. That similar to problems, it's again good things to learn from. But you got to take that next step to identify. Here's what we can do next time. Here's a solution. Here's right. a thing I tried that may or may not have worked. As opposed to, hey, this isn't working, or this didn't work out. What you know, who knows next time. So, being able to be yeah. proactive or, or build off of it, building off of it is key. So, I, I real quickly, I mean, I think there's like three general reactions to a mistake. One is like the punitive reaction, where people think, well, I've got to punish the mistakes, then people will know not to make them. I'm like that. I don't think that's an accurate view of how the world works. Um, there's there's a second approach. I call it the nice approach where leaders might say things like, well, it's okay, Mike. I know you didn't mean to do that. Like, don't worry about it. It's just sort of a soothing, comforting reaction, but then that's the end of it. Well, then do you want to keep being nice about the same mistakes week in and week out? I think there's a third category. I've learned to use the word kind, where where, where kind is more action-oriented. It's more helpful. Like, let's let's go beyond the, the, the nice to think about the learning and, and and the prevention, you know, that that that's I think the best way to try to react. That's that's a perfect way to to tie it. And it kind of dovetails. I just listened to Gary V's latest book. It's about a year old or so, but it's called 12 and a half and it goes through 12 kind of uh mindsets or 12 mm. uh, things to stay. And the half is kind candor, he calls it. And he said that was mm. a big missing piece for him is that it was either that nice piece or that yeah. kind of just go the other way, kind of just I was difficult about it, but it's the the big thing there is being candid, being honest, but being kind about it, you know, having the empathy when you, when you do it. And as you said that, uh, you know, being nice, not helpful, but being kind and being truthful, that is the recipe yes. for moving forward. And you can do it respectfully. And look, instead of looking the other way, when somebody is making a mistake, um, I it, it's kind, it might be uncomfortable. For the person giving the feedback or the person receiving it, but I would argue it's far more, far more kind to try to point out the mistake in in a way that that's that's focused around um, improvement instead of punishment or or ridicule or or what have you. So um, yeah, kind doesn't always feel comfortable, but I think it's the better the better way to go. It's sort of like where, where people say sometimes leaders say. Um, it comes across different ways of like, um, it, it's better to be respected than to be liked. 
And I think it's better to be kind than it is to be nice. Well, well said. Uh, that that's that's a good place to kind of tie up this conversation on mistakes. Okay. Uh, I think we've we've talked a lot about uh, the the books you've written, how we should handle mistakes, the culture around that. Is there something I didn't ask you tonight that I probably should have? Oh, um, that's a good. I mean, that's a good question. Um, I've been asked that before, and it makes me freeze every time. <laughs> I don't know why that is. It's a mistake. Is it a mistake that I can't answer that, or am I just um, struggling? Um, I, I don't have a good way. I don't have a good way to answer that. I'll tell you though, like just as a um, uh, to me, it's a funny story. Like you know, I'm fortunate to be able to do different things, right? I have my own business where I do you know writing and speaking and consulting. I'm involved in the software company and. Uh, it's not a traditional uh, job. And I mean, sometimes people will ask in the tone of voice, it's interesting. It's like, so wait, what 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 do you do? what 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 do you do? Or like they're they're in a way, they're asking like, what does it you do you make money off any of this? <laughs> but <laughs> so I'm fortunate to be able to do a mix of um, of different things. It's, it's not always easy. I, I will give credit to. Um, an incredibly supportive wife who has a very traditional, amazing corporate career path that gives me some latitude to go and do some things that are entrepreneurial and uh, a little riskier. So I I give her a lot of credit and thanks for giving me the space to do these different things. Very nice. It, w- it wouldn't work for everybody. No. Meaning, you know, the 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 solopreneur hustle, struggle, whatever you call it, you know. Um. So I will sometimes start here, but since you mentioned that, I'm going to uh, end. So if you do meet someone new, how do you describe what you do? This may be an opportunity to try to reframe that. I mean, because I do have this, um, you know, kind of long-standing passion around helping people get better at learning from mistakes. So I don't know, like, I don't, is there some sort of, um, I don't want to sound like a glib label of like, I'm the mistakes guy, but I don't know if that, <laughs> I don't know how that sounds on first class. I, I mean, I, I will generally say um, I have my own business. Um, I, I write, uh, uh, I should include publisher, right? So I'm author, publisher, speaker, consultant, mix um uh maybe i should talk to i'm not i'm clearly not a marketing and branding expert <laughs> is there someone else you've interviewed that i should talk to we'll, we'll get the introduction out there uh, mark where can our listeners find you if they want to connect to learn more yeah um the the books the book website is mistakesbook.com um the my favorite mistake podcast can be found at mistakes podcast dot com and uh, my my website is my name markgraven.com um i can be found on linkedin you know, i'm pretty active that's that's the social media platform that uh that i'm most active on and you know thankfully my name's unique enough i mean google mark graven there's one other mark graven that i know of in the us and maybe he's happy that he's hidden and you know, <laughs> in the google search but yeah i'm pretty easy to find online He's not the mistakes guy. That's you. I'm sure he make. I'm sure the other Mark Graven makes mistakes too. 
<laughs> I haven't met him. <laughs> but, I, but hey, we all well, we all make mistakes. So I would assume the other Mark Graven does too. There you go. There you go, Mark. This, this Mark Graven does. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for uh, for joining us, and I look forward to next time. All right, Mike. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for your questions. Thank you for having me. <laughs>